This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Trash Talk with TK. This is episode 14. I am TK Tom Kelly. In this episode, we will talk about the Sixers and what they've done in the postseason so far. Also take a look around the other NBA playoff series talk about the Flyers, their season coming to an end Sunday in disappointing fashion. Phillies off to a tremendous start. Eagles draft this week. So much to get into, so much going on in sports nationally and locally. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go. So the Philadelphia 76ers now have a 3-1 to series lead over the Miami Heat in their Eastern Conference quarterfinal series. And Can I first just say how great it is to have playoff basketball back in Philadelphia? And not just playoff basketball, because we've had, we've we've watched the Sixers in the playoffs various times throughout the last, you know, 15 years before the process and all that stuff started. But to have a team in the playoffs, a basketball team in the playoffs, with a legitimate chance to go deep. I mean, it's really amazing. You know, you think back to that team in 2012, went on that fraudulent run. They won a first-round series because Derrick Rose tore up his knee in in the first game of the series. And they got to Game 7 with an old, broken-down Boston Celtics team. And I guess that was fun in the moment. But you know that. You knew that team didn't have a legitimate chance at going to the finals. You knew they weren't beating the Heat. You knew they weren't... They didn't have a chance to win anything substantial. That is so far from the case now. And where we are now, I mean, people will continue to debate, you know, the whole hinky process stuff, and yeah, it was worth it, and anybody who says otherwise just doesn't know what they're talking about or doesn't want to admit that they're wrong. But what we've seen from the Sixers in this series has been a team literally just growing up right before our eyes. You know, they split the first two at home. After entering the playoffs on a 16-game win streak, you know, losing that game two at home could have been something for a young team that could have, I don't know about shattered their confidence, but at least shaken their confidence a little bit. You know, you're talking about a team that just won 17 in a row. They drop a tough game at home where, you know, a former legend in Dwayne Wade kind of recaptures somehow... His form from 10 years ago was pretty incredible. But for them to have not just the physical tools, but the mental ability to go down to Miami and take two consecutive games down there is so impressive. And yeah, a lot of it had to do with Joel Embiid coming back. And it's funny with Embiid. We talk about him so much. What he does on the offensive side of the floor. What he does on the offensive end how he can kind of bail them out when the offense isn't isn't running proficiently and you dump it down to Joel Embiid, get some easy baskets down there, get him to the free throw line, and it kind of gets you out of whatever's bogging you down offensively. And there's no doubt he is one of the best in the game 
when it comes to a guy who can just, you know, get your offense moving when things aren't going well. But we don't talk nearly enough about what Joel Embiid does defensively. I think he's the best defensive player in the NBA. And I will fight to the death with people about whether Joel Embiid's the best defensive player in the league. Nobody changes the game on that end of the floor more than Joel Embiid. Bottom line. I know Anthony Davis is a hell of a defensive player. You know, even though he's been hurt, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James. There are so many. Rudy Gobert, Gobert, who's probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year this year. And there's no doubt. Those guys change games too. Those guys are elite defensive players as well. But nobody, nobody in this league, nobody that I've ever seen in a Sixers uniform changes what the opponent does offensively, how they approach offensive basketball more than Joel Embiid. You have seen it in this series. Game two, Miami got a lot at the rim. They got a lot of points at the rim in that in that game. Dwayne Wade, it wasn't just jumpers. He was getting to the basket. And that all stopped in Miami. The shots that they are forced to take. And they've been making shots. Miami has made shots in this series. But they can't get anything around the rim when Joel Embiid's in the game. You just see when Joel comes off the court. Miami, their offensive mindset changes. They are more aggressive. They are more uh, going for those lobs, going for those baskets around the rim because they know when Embiid's in there, they just aren't getting it. They just aren't getting it. I mean, an awful call at the end of that game. Thank goodness it didn't cost the Sixers the game. They called a ridiculous foul on Joel Embiid when he just totally erases Dwayne Wade at the rim. But he changes everything for that team defensively. And now that Joel Embiid is back, and he is that force that they need inside on both ends of the floor, this team just becomes so much more complete. And when you look at this series in general, you look at that game four, and, man, Miami did everything they needed to do for the first 35 minutes of that game. You look at that game, the first 35, 35 and a half minutes, right up until the end of the third quarter, that is exactly how Eric Spolster drew it up. Exactly how he drew it up. Exactly. If Eric Spolster had scripted that basketball game for his team and how the Miami Heat were going to have a chance to even that series at two, that's exactly how he drew it up. They were making it chippy. They were slowing it down, which is the exact way the Heat need to win. Joel Embiid was was off from the floor. The Heat were up, you know, what, double digits with two minutes left in the third? And you remember during a timeout, Joel Embiid, the Sixers were down eight. He missed a three, a wide open three. And in the ensuing timeout, I was watching the TNT broadcast. Normally, I'd watch the local broadcast, but I was down uh, in Cape May for a wedding. So I was at a hotel, and the hotel, the the TV, the the channel couldn't change, and all I had on was TNT. TNT was on originally, thank God, because I couldn't change the channel to a local broadcast. But aside from that, the reason that's important is 
on TNT, they bring you into the huddle. And Brett Brown is telling the Sixers, for as bad as we've played, somehow we're exactly where we want to be. Joe's three would have brought it to five. We're exactly where we need to be. We just need to close this quarter strong. That is with about a minute and a half, two minutes left in the third. And right out of that timeout, the Sixers come out, and this is where the game changed. They come out and they close the third quarter incredibly strong. Ersan Ilyasova hits a big three at the end of the quarter. And the Sixers cut it to four. And I think that moment demoralized Miami. Then the Sixers come out, go on a run to start the fourth, take the lead, and they never gave it up. Tense moments late. Back and forth late in the game. But Ben Simmons with that thunderous dunk. Next possession, a really good a good offensive set run. J.J. Reddick gets a wide open jumper, which he knocks down. And then, you know, a foul. You get a, get a rebound. Reddick goes to the line and closes it out. And it is, was just so impressive to me to see this young team already in that mode where they can close out games against the veteran team. On the road. In a game they turned the ball over 26 times. The last time a team turned the ball over 26 times on the road and won a playoff game, 1988. 30 years ago. Which just shows you how immensely talented this team is. That they can overcome those kind of mistakes. Those kind of mishaps. And still win a critical playoff game on the road. It doesn't happen. 30 years between times. Last time a team turned the ball over that much and won a road playoff game. And they're a complete team right now, man. I mean, you look at Ilyasova was huge. Ilyasova and Bellinelli, and you got to give Brian Colangelo credit regardless if you like him or not. You must give Brian Colangelo credit for exploiting the buyout market and bringing in Ersan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli because they have changed this team. What was this team lacking the first half of the season? They were lacking a bench. They had no bench. And you essentially, in the last few months of the season, replaced Trevor Booker, who's an absolute zero offensively, a grit effort guy who is doing a nice job for Indiana, but he was not what this team needed. And Jared Bayless, who flat-out stinks. And you replace them with Ilyasova and Bellinelli. And Ilyasova and Bellinelli have both been incredibly important in this series. They have both made huge impacts on this series. Just look at the two games in Miami. Bellinelli, 21 points in Game 3. Ilyasova, just a monster. Monster in the second half of Game 4. Without those guys, I mean you could potentially be down 3-1 right now. And from what I've seen in this series and what I've seen elsewhere in the Eastern Conference, I think this team's going to the NBA Finals. I really do. I absolutely believe the Sixers are going to go to the NBA Finals this year. They're the most talented team in the conference. They have the best one-two punch of any team in the conference with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid who are only going to get more experience, only going to get better as this postseason goes on. You look elsewhere in the East. Toronto doing what Toronto does. They win the first two games, can't go down and get a big road win in Washington. They're in a tough series now. Boston, win two at home without Kyrie. You know they're not that talented. Go on the road, can't get a win in Milwaukee. 
Cleveland, and I, I've been on record for a while, is saying I won't pick against LeBron until I see it, but that team is just not right. They're just not right. They have had to work to win two games against Indiana. That series could have easily been swept. The Pacers could have easily won game two and game four. Somehow, you know, the Cavs stay alive, but even if they survive that series, even if they beat Toronto or Washington, I I think the Sixers can beat the Cavs. I think the Sixers would beat the Cavs in a seven-game series. And you look right now, every other series in this conference tied at 2-2. Sixers the only team with a commanding 3-1 lead. And I would absolutely love to see them just come home and close this thing out on Tuesday night. You don't want to give that Miami team any life. That's a veteran team. That's a well-coached team. And you can damn well guarantee Eric Spolstra is in that locker room right now. He's. Do you know what he's saying to his team? He's saying all we need to do is win one game. All we need to do is win one game and we're right back in the series. He's right. He's right. If Miami wins game five, if they can come in here and steal game five, they're right back in this series. It's 3-2. They go back home and then they're saying the same thing. Just win one more game and we have a a game seven against the young team and we'd like our chances. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Miami's going to come out strong. On Tuesday night, I think they're going to come out with a lot of fire. They know they're playing for their lives. But I just think the Sixers are too good. They've demonstrated it throughout the entirety of this series. The Sixers are just too talented for this Miami team. And I like the Sixers to take game five. And if you can do that, you sit back, you get a little bit of rest, and you watch what else happens in the East. As far as what I think is going to happen the rest of the East, I still think Toronto wins the series. I think they'll go win game five. They probably win it in six. I'm still not a believer in Washington just because, you know, I just don't really like the like the character of that team. But, you know, Washington's made it a series again. I think Toronto escapes. I think Boston, it probably takes them seven. But I think Boston probably beats Milwaukee. I'd rather Milwaukee win because I just because I, I'm con- like I'm not scared of either of those teams. And I'd rather have the Sixers have home court because I think they'll beat B- Milwaukee or Boston. I really do. I think Sixers probably would beat Milwaukee or Boston in 6 games. I think Boston will win the series. I'd rather see Milwaukee so the Sixers have home court. And then in Cleveland, Indiana, at this point I'm still going to say Cleveland in 7. But I say that with no shred of confidence. No shred of confidence whatsoever the way they played. That team's just not right. They got LeBron James and they got a lot of a lot of average players. Kevin Love's just not the guy he used to be. I don't know if it's injury or, or what, what it is. But he's just not the guy he used to be. Maybe they're asking him to play too big a role. But I think Cleveland escapes that series. But in the end, I think the Sixers... We'll beat Boston in the next round. If they get them, they'll beat Milwaukee if they get them. And then whether it's Toronto or Cleveland or Indiana or Washington, whoever they play in the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm not picking against the Sixers right now. They're the most talented team. They're the most equipped team to win a seven-game series. So for the games uh, later on this evening in the West, game four between Milwaukee and Houston is fascinating to me. I think Houston will win. I'd love to see Minnesota win that game and tie it at two and really make that a series. 
but I think Houston will win in Game 5 between Utah and OKC, or Game 4 between Utah and OKC. I'll take OKC to win that game, and, and still, I still think Oklahoma City will win in 7, which is the pick I had before the series, but man, I, I just, uh, they, they don't look right either. I don't know if Paul George is going to return there, and uh, well, it'll be interesting. Game 4 in Utah between the Jazz and OKC. I, I, I'll take OKC just because I don't think, you know, I don't think they will they will go down without a fight. But we'll see what happens. But it's going to be an interesting, it's been a great playoff so far. And the Sixers, the only team in the East with a 3-1 lead, it's a great feeling. Hopefully they can close it out Tuesday and sit back and watch the rest of these teams battle in long series. Now we'll address uh, what happened yesterday at the Wells Fargo Center Flyer season ending to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Tough one for the Flyers yesterday at the Wells Fargo Center as they lose to the Penguins 8-5 in Game 6 in what was a, you know, typically frustrating Flyers performance. As we've kind of come to expect, I mean, hey, first and foremost, huge credit to Sean Couturier and Ivan Provorov. Both playing with incredibly, you know, kind of serious injuries. Couturier just days removed from tearing his MCL. Provorov with a a shoulder injury that, uh, from everything you hear, seemed incredibly, incredibly painful. Huge props to those guys for going out and playing. But, you know, same old Flyers. Same old Flyers in Game 6. And it's just so frustrating because they come out so strong early in that game. Come out, take a one nothing lead in the first few minutes, and they look great. They are flying all over the place. They look tremendous. I flipped over to watch the end of the Milwaukee-Boston game. And we're Literally, we're talking 30 seconds. I flip over to watch the end of the Bucks celtics game. Flip back, Flyers down 2-1. to one. It's like, what happened? I, I, I missed both those goals. I was literally watching 30 seconds of a basketball game, and somehow the Penguins scored two goals. But the Flyers come back, go up 4-2. to two. And at that point, you're thinking, you know, they dominate the second period for the most part. You're getting jacked up. You're thinking, all right, Game 7. Game 7 Tuesday night. It's going to be a great sports night. The Flyers are going to have Game 7. Sixers are going to have Game 5 versus the Heat. Here we go. And then they give up another real quick goal. And then Radko Gudis, who this guy just stinks. I'm sorry. He's just terrible. Ends up turning one over. The Penguins get a goal to tie it up in the final minute of the second. Come back out, first 30 seconds of the third, they score another one, go up 5-4, and then the Flyers just fall apart. A, a horrible missed trip led to the sixth goal. I mean, one of the worst non-calls I've ever seen in hockey or really any sport. Sean Couturier just like uh, blatantly tripped, leads directly to a Pittsburgh goal, and then the Flyers kind of just went in the tank after that, gave up a seventh goal immediately after that, and end up losing 8-5. to And it that game was really just a microcosm of the entire Flyers season. I tweeted it out yesterday during the game, and it's 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 inc- it's so true with that team. It just can't get out of their own way. They have flashes, man. They have flashes where they will look exciting. They'll look fun. They'll look like, hey, they're a good team. They can play with anybody. For most of that second period, they were dominant. They looked tremendous. They were, you know, a home game six 
And it just looked like they had it. It looked like this was the game. The Flyers were going to come out and, and get it together. And then they just start giving up bad goals. And part of it's the goaltending. Yeah, they've been searching for a goalie for 20 years. This organization, I think the Flyers organization is and has been the most poorly run in this city over the last 20 years. And it might not seem like it when you look at their success comparatively with other teams, especially the Sixers, uh, and how many times they've been to the playoffs, how many times they've gone deep in the playoffs, but the Sixers have figured it out after all this time. It took a while, but Sam Hinkie figured it out, and the Sixers finally did what was necessary or to... The Sixers finally did what was necessary to build a winner. The Flyers have never been willing to do that. And I know Hextel's trying to now... But I just have no confidence. You know, and all we hear about now is this kid Carter Hart, the goalie coming up. He's going to be a stud. He's going to be a stud. I don't know that. And I don't trust it. The Flyers have had a goalie in waiting for 20 to 25 years. And they never end up being any good. Maybe this kid is is legit. Maybe he is. I hope he, well, I don't know when he's going to be ready to play. I've been hearing about him, I, it feels like, for five years. And the kid's still in the minor leagues. I mean, I don't know when he's going to be up and ready to play. But you know what they're going to do? They're going to go out this offseason. They're going to sign some slop, you know, lifetime borderline starter goalie like a Brian Elliott, like a Michael Neuverth, like a, oh, who, I don't even know. Who was the guy before that? They had a guy before that. I, for, I, I already forget who it is. These guys are so forgettable. These goal, Oh, Mason. That was the guy, Steve Mason. The, they're all the same guy. For 25 years, the Flyers have had the same guy essentially at goaltender this entire time. And they that they, until they figure out that position, it's going to be the same story. Because at points like yesterday, at points in a series, you need a goaltender who is going to be able to win you multiple games. Not just one game, because Brian Elliott won you game two. And that's the thing. That's what these mediocre goalies can do. They can play well in doses. They can give you a game here. They can give you a game there. Brian Elliott in game two, Michael Neuverth in game five. You know, they will play well in small doses, but you need a guy who is going to be consistent. None of these guys can play with any sort of consistency. And their defense this year has just been atrocious. They gave up so many bad goals, so many blown leads. One of the more frustrating teams that I've seen in recent memory, and I have preached patience for the most part because I think that's part of why the Flyers have struggled building is they haven't been patient enough. You know, firing a guy like Peter Laviolette three games into a season, I still think was the one of the dumbest things this organization has done in years. But I think it is time to move on from Dave Haxtell. I mean, this guy just, he hasn't gotten it done. The players don't seem to respond. There's no fire there's no fire when it comes to this team. Like, stand up and, and battle. And I'm not saying you got to go out and fight guys and, you know, the enforcer mentality, the Broad Street bully mentality. I don't subscribe to any of that stuff. But don't give up eight goals in an elimination game. I don't think that's too hard, too much to ask. Give up eight goals with your season on the line is an absolute disgrace. And they're not responding enough to Dave Haxtell. They're just not. It's time for a change. It's time for a new voice in that locker room. 
I liked the hire at the time. I thought bringing a guy from college, you know, it's not your typical hockey thing to do. And I think that was positive for them to have kind of a fresher approach, a different approach than it's usually done in that league, but it hasn't worked out. And it's time for the coach to go. I don't know who you bring in, but something's got to change because I just didn't see enough fire with this team. I didn't see enough from this team this year for Haxtell to keep his job, a guy who was probably on the hot seat. Do I think they will fire him? I do not. I think Dave Haxtell will be back to the chagrin of many Flyer fans. But, you know, what's annoying about the Flyer fan base is they'll forget about it. They'll, they'll, they'll be back. They're always back. And they'll always believe that they have a chance to win the Cup next year. I said it before the series. Flyers fans were all picking the Flyers in six. I told them they're delusional, and I got a lot of heat for it. But it's true. Flyers fans always delusionally believe in their team. Even when all evidence points to the contrary. Like it did this year. There was nothing to make you believe they're going to beat the Penguins in that series. Nothing from what you saw in the regular season to make you think the that should have made you logically think the Flyers are going to win that series. Yet all the Flyers fans are picking the Flyers in six. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. And I said they were they were delusional. And I got a lot of heat for it. But they're the same team as they always are. I've just seen this story too many times. I've seen this story too many times until they get a coach who the players are going to respond to and until they get a goaltender who can carry them. It's going to be the same story for the Flyers year after year. Now before we close it out, I want to touch on the Phillies 14-7. and Gabe Kapler, all of a sudden a genius, perhaps? Let's talk about the Phillies and their most recent winning streak. Now to close things out, we'll talk about the Philadelphia Phillies, 14 and 7, red hot. They've won 10 out of their last 11 ball games, four game sweep, sweep over the Pittsburgh Pirates over the weekend, and Gabe Kapler. People were hating on him early in the season. They booed him since then. Phillies. 13-3 and three since they booed Cape Kapler. Is that the reason? Is that the reason why the Phillies have improved? Did you, did, were the booers motivating for Gabe Kapler and the Phillies? I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. I, by highly doubt it, I mean no. That's not the case at all. But this team's pretty good, man. They're, and they're only, they haven't even started to hit yet, which is amazing. Their starting pitching has been really good, and... We kind of knew if the starting pitching could hold up, they'd be okay. The bats will come around. I'm fully convinced the bats will come around. Herrera is hitting the ball. Hoskins off to a good start, you know, but some of the some of the some of the other position players, Santana struggled early. I have no worries that he'll come around. You know, the bats will come around. It's the weather gets warmer as it becomes hitting season. They'll start hitting the ball more, but what you've seen out of the starting pitching has been incredibly impressive. I mean, Nick Pavetta. Nick Pavetta looks like a legit, what, number three in this league? Because I think that's really what he could be. I think Nick Pavetta could be a solid number three, and he's showing that he's certainly capable of that. He has been tremendous, tremendous to start this season. Vince Velasquez, you figured this would probably be his last chance as a starter 
before being moved to the pen, and he's he's getting the job done. I'm not sure if we'll be able to keep it up. I think really you got to get into late May before you can really count on stuff, and we're going to need to see more from Pavetta as well. But, man, what you've seen so far is really encouraging. Aaron Nola picking up right where he left off. Arietta as an anchor of the staff. Looks good, and the bullpen's been good as well. And Gabe Kapler, some of these techniques, some of the seemingly odd things that he was doing early that people were criticizing, now they don't look so dumb. They don't look so dumb. The one thing he does do that I really don't like and I will never understand is the idea of hitting the pitcher eighth. I don't really like that strategy. I don't really know where that helps you. I mean, it just brings the pitcher up a spot earlier in the order. I've never liked that. I don't really understand why you do it. But hey, it's it's working so far, and the bats will come around. The bats will come around. It's been fun to watch. Honestly, I'll I'll be honest. I haven't seen as much of the Phillies early in the season as I've hoped to, mainly because, you know, playoffs and other sports are on. Sixers, Flyers have been on pretty much every night. But this team is off to a great start. And Gabe Kapler's off to a great start. And we'll see if they can keep it going. But there's no doubt, and I said it before the season started, I think this team can hang in the National League wildcard race. I don't think they can challenge Washington for the division. Washington is clear, clear cut the best team in the NL East, and I think eventually they will pull away and they will win this division by a relatively comfortable margin. But you can be in that wildcard race with the Mets, with the Cardinals, with you know pretty much all those teams in the NL West who I think are all pretty good. And can all kind of compete. And hey, if this team's in a wild card race in September, that's going to be awesome. If they can get you through the summer till when Eagles start, that would be tremendous. So it's been fun to watch. Great start for the Phillies. And really, this is so weird that we are three days before the NFL draft. And I feel like I've heard virtually no talk about it. I feel like people aren't that into the draft. And that's a good thing. It's because we, for once, have so much other stuff to be excited about. You know, we have a team in the NBA that's probably, as I said earlier, going to the finals. We have a Phillies team that's off to a great start. But the draft is Thursday night. I think the Eagles most likely will trade out of the first round, trade out of the 32nd pick. I think that would probably be the right move. I mean, unless they love somebody there. If you love a guy there, you 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 probably sit and take him, but... If I had to bet, knowing Howie Roseman and how Howie operates would make a lot of sense to trade down, pick up some picks on Friday, because right now the Eagles don't have a pick in the second or third round. I'd be surprised if that stays the same way it is right now. And the easiest way to pick up picks is trade down from 32, pick up a few picks for Friday, and we'll see if any players get moved. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a fun draft to watch. Um, I could see Michael Kendricks being moved before. I thought Ronald Darby might have been on the block, but after the Darrell Worley situation, I don't really think Darby is nearly as expendable now as he was previously. But how he's going to be wheeling and dealing, you know he will. Can't wait to see what kind of magic he works this weekend. That'll do it for episode 14, Trash Talk with TK. Follow me on Twitter at Tommy Kelly 44 If you like what you heard on the podcast, 
I'll be back on uh, the radio 94 WIP this weekend. Was off last weekend for a wedding, but I'm back this upcoming weekend. I'll be on Saturday into Sunday, Saturday night into Sunday morning, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So please tune in, and I'll talk to you Saturday night. See you guys later. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.